now verses 12 to 42 of Acts chapter 5. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts, teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his right hand as Prince and Saviour, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were furious and wanted to put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honoured by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do with these men. Some time ago, Tudius appeared, claiming to be somebody, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone 
let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Now, today's message from Carol. Well, I don't know about you, but one of the challenges I have these days is telling the difference between what's fake news and what's real news. I wonder how confident you feel in telling the difference. It turns out I'm not very good. I took a short online test that I found on the BBC website. I was given seven questions. Each one asked me to identify which of three similar headlines was the real one and which were fake. Out of the seven questions, I only correctly identified three. And I think two of those were lucky guesses. So indulge me for a moment and try and imagine you're in the scene that we've just heard about in our Bible reading. What might you be thinking about this news you're hearing and seeing? There are some men standing outside the temple teaching about this Jesus whom you may or may not have already heard about and people are being healed. It seems also that folks are coming from far and wide just to hear this news and to be a part of what's happening. So was it real or was it all just a big hoax? How would those onlookers have felt? Could they tell the difference between what was real and what was fake? And why would the apostles carry on talking about Jesus in the face of such persecution? How did they get the confidence to do that, bearing in mind their situation? We have to remember that these were the very early days of the church. The apostles in this passage knew that they had been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost and now found that they were able to do some amazing things and speak and testify in ways they could never have imagined. Let's fast forward a bit to today. I wonder how we feel about sharing news or things we've heard on the grapevine, so to speak. We might be a bit reluctant or we might decide to shout it from the rooftops. I guess it depends on what the news is and whether or not we believe it. And how about sharing the good news of Jesus? Do we sometimes feel people we're talking to might just think it's fake or that we won't explain it well enough and so therefore we don't bother? Or do we have the same confidence as the apostles? Perhaps, like me, sometimes it's a bit of both. I think today's passage has some useful things we can take away that might help us with that dilemma and at the same time remind ourselves that we carry the good news of Christ 
and we as Christians can be confident that it is the real thing. I think the first thing to point out is that if it's the real thing, it's productive. Fake news. The clue is in the name. If it's fake, it probably hasn't happened or it's just a rumour or an idea, perhaps designed just to confuse or unsettle us or to try and make us believe in something that isn't true. But our passage reminds us that the good news of Jesus is different. Things are definitely happening when people hear about it. Verse 12 tells us about the signs and wonders and the results are that, as it says in the passage, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. We know that's true because look at the population of the worldwide church today. It didn't just fizzle out in the first few weeks and something must have been happening for word to spread. Verse 16 tells us crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem. The truth about God at this time needed demonstrating as well as explaining, which is why the apostles found they were not only able to talk about Jesus, but perform all those miracles too. Now, we all know that when we have some good news of our own, we want to share that with others so they can have a chance to be a part of it too. And it snowballs and it gathers momentum. When my daughter got engaged a couple of years ago, it didn't take long for the good news to spread. And I was really keen to tell everyone I knew so they could share in our joy. Which links into the second point I think we're reminded of. And that is, if it's real, it's unstoppable. As we read on in this passage, we get a scene something like the Keystone Cops meets the Great Escape. The apostles are arrested and put in jail, but an angel springs them from prison. There follows a bit of confusion. No one knows where they are. The chief priests are puzzled until someone spots them in a sort of Panto-esque behind you moment. And they're discovered back in the temple courts, back talking to people about Jesus, back to teaching, back to healing the sick. In this incident, the angel has freed them, not so they can be runaways or fugitives from the chief priests, but so they can go back, stand up and keep talking about Jesus, despite the risks, challenges and dangers that might bring with it. And the angel did more than just release the apostles. He gave them a specific instruction. They were to return to the temple not to some place less visible and less dangerous. And they were to proclaim the whole message of this life. In other words, they were to keep on doing precisely what they had been doing. They were not to be intimidated by the persecution of the Jewish religious leaders. Imagine how surprised the apostles would have been but imagine how much more confident they were as a result. They now have tangible evidence that God is on their side. This incident reminds me of when I was on placement this time last year at another local church. 
I remember the vicar sharing with me a story about an important meeting she'd had to go to with two very wealthy and quite influential people in her parish. She'd wanted to speak to them about the possibility of sharing some parking areas for her parishioners to use on a Sunday morning. She shared with me how weak she felt her position was compared with them and how they might just view this as a trivial and irrelevant thing to be discussing, despite the huge difference it would make to her congregation. And she told me that it was her husband who had reminded her that she was going into the meeting with God on her side and he shouldn't be underestimated. In other words, he was reminding her that Jesus is the one with power and authority. Sometimes I think we feel we need to have a position or human power or clout in order to have authority. But when we go into difficult situations with God on our side, we too can be unstoppable. Now you might be thinking, well, plenty of fake news seems to have been productive and unstoppable. So I want to consider another two things that I think make all the difference. This passage reminds us about the power of Jesus and he is the real thing. The power of the apostles is real because Jesus is real. The apostles, having first doubted God's power and his promises, have been given the living, abiding presence of God in the Holy Spirit and they've managed to hold on to this certainty in the face of opposition and to tirelessly explain to others what has been up until now so very hard for them to understand too. Remember Peter, he was the one who was so anxious he ran away from Jesus at the crucifixion and it's him who now declares boldly and a bit cheekily, we must obey God rather than men. And that knowledge of the power of God through the Holy Spirit assures us that God is with us. He is not distant or aloof. He is right here in the middle of things with us. And we know he has the power to unlock prison cells and raise up those apostles to enable his kingdom to advance on earth. What might he do through us, I wonder? God, through his Holy Spirit, will strengthen and empower us, especially when we feel weak or overwhelmed, when we can't see the wood for the trees, when life is confusing and difficult. Because like the apostles, we too are called to witness in these difficult times. We carry the good news of Jesus and perhaps now, more than ever, people need to hear of the hope that we have in the risen Christ. The hope of life, of peace, of joy, of forgiveness and of love. And better still, we don't need to get the power. We have it already. God has given it to us out of his love for us. And the real thing is eternal. This passage shows us that the spirit has been unleashed and there's no going back. 
what Jesus began to do and teach the church, that's you and me, now as then continues to do and to speak. Jesus can't be silenced and neither could the apostles. And Jesus is alive now and at work through his Holy Spirit, working through us, his disciples and followers. And I think it's worth highlighting what Gamaliel warns the chief priests. He says, if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. We find ourselves in strange times, constantly changing rules and regulations, uncertainty and pain, difficult decisions needing to be made on an almost daily basis. And it's hard to know what's real and what's fake. But now, more than ever, we too can hold on to the knowledge that in the midst of all this chaos, God is real. Jesus is the real thing. His love for you and for me is the real thing. And it's a message of hope we can bring to everyone. And the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Life Giver, is God's gift to us of his continuing presence. And he carries on the job of bearing witness to the crucified and risen Christ quietly and relentlessly. And God, in his humour and grace, asks us to join in, to tell what we've seen and heard. So what does this all mean for us today in our walk of faith with the people in our lives? Well, it's unlikely that we will go around healing people with our shadows, but it's also true that it's not always about the big signs and wonders or preaching sermons and making speeches, although all of those things are valid. But it is about how we live our lives and how much we allow the good news we carry with us to be visible to those around us. We may not go around healing like the apostles, but we can have that same confidence in the power and authority of Jesus so that we can say a word or a prayer or drop a note into someone with maybe a word from scripture and not feel awkward, embarrassed or uncomfortable. We can leave it to God to work through our actions. As someone recently said to me, you've done your best, let God do the rest. God's power is in the message itself. So, although you might think we have seen more than enough of God's power to convince us forever that it is real and not fake, there will be times in our lives when we remember that and trust. And there will be times when we forget and doubt. We will sometimes, like the apostles, be able to speak with strength and conviction of all that Christ has done for us. And sometimes we will panic and stutter. Paul wrote to the Ephesians to remind them of this very same thing. In Ephesians 3, he says, Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. 
We can give our testimonies, however feeble, and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to make God presence. We can hold on to that truth for ourselves in these difficult times, that God is with us and he loves us. And if we just proclaim that message, however big or small, he will, according to his sovereign plan and purpose, use it for his glory. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you as we are, knowing that you love us just as we are. Help us to use the power of your Holy Spirit to be reminded of just how much you can achieve through us. Remind us today how much you trust us, how much you love us, and how you fill us with your Holy Spirit to share your work with us. Amen. Let's worship. <laughs>